0: you're gonna get paid off the revenue of your franchisees. But at the end of the day, more franchisees and your unit count is gonna go up when prospective clients or candidates do the validation process and they're actually talking to the franchisees that are currently with you and you actually have happy people because they're profitable. That's just gonna help you in the long run. I mean, I, I can only imagine being a part of a system that the franchisees are not happy. Uh, you can create a, a a brand that has a thousand Z's, but there's gonna come a point when the system is gonna break because you either have a mass exodus or you have a lot of people shutting down and going out of business. And what comes up will come down very quickly and aggressively.
1: Welcome to the Franchise Founders Podcast. We are on a mission to help aspiring entrepreneurs just like you take action through franchise ownership, allowing you to obtain more financial freedom, time with family, and ultimately, a business that can run on its own without you. Welcome to another episode of the Franchise Founders Podcast. Your co-host Dan Claps here right now. Our uh, other host, Christian Dadalak, is not joining due to some travel from the IFA, but I'm here with a you know new friend of mine, Matthew McReynolds. Um, really excited about this episode. Before I introduce Matt, um, give you a little bit of context. So, you know, Matt had been interacting with my content over the past few months, and we started to chat and just had one or two conversations. And I said, Hey, you know, appreciate knowing you. And, you know, we built that type of relationship. And I've been watching his content as well, and I see that he's He's building uh, a, a you know really nice uh, business and life, and I've been enjoying seeing what he's been doing. And the topic of this conversation that we're going to be getting into is really around building a franchise business. That's a multi-unit franchisee, um, you know, in in the in a mosquito concept. And um, you know, has a demonstrated history of working in the consumer services industry, building teams. He's building a company. Um, Over the past seven years, he's built the business and is going to continue to do so. And so we're going to get into topics around building a business that runs itself, building team, building culture, and just overall how to become a better business leader. Matt, welcome to the show.
0: Hey, it's great to be here with you, Dan. Thanks for having me.
1: I apologize. Do you go always by Matthew or, or Matt as well?
0: I will. Here's the thing, man. I will always introduce myself as Matthew because I always envision my mom in the, b- behind me slapping me in the back of the head if I don't. But Matt, I'm not offended by Matt. I will always introduce myself as Matthew. Uh, but after that, it, it's up to the person to take it as they want. I do have a brother-in-law who goes by Matt. So for with, when I'm around family, I, it, it's, it's typically Matthew. But in, outside of the family life, Matt is fine.
1: I think that was the most polite way to say you go by Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right. Maybe I can cut that down next time somebody asks you that and just say Matthew.
1: And, and I should have asked prior to recording. But anyway, uh, there's a lesson in business. Ask people about what they like to be called. You know, sure, it's funny. My, my old email used to be Daniel uh, and my LinkedIn was Daniel. And one day I was like, why am I putting Daniel if I like to, like I'm Dan, like in my life. And so, yeah. but I was always like, why are people calling me Daniel? And I was like, well, your LinkedIn and your email, you know, maybe you start there changing it. So uh,
0: everything I put out is Daniel. So yeah, no doubt. People are going to call me that. Sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just start like, let's, let's get into story. I mean, you're, you're a pretty young guy. Like you, you got into franchise like seven, looks like, you know, seven years ago you started as a franchise owner. Like what's the story?
0: Yeah, man. So I am, that's Ryan. Right. We're entering into season eight with Mosquito Joe right now. Uh, I got into franchising. You know, it's funny listening to podcasts like this and other franchise podcasts that are out there. Everybody's got a story of, oh, I just fell into franchising. And it's empowering in a way, but it also feels like it takes away my uniqueness because I also fell into franchising kind of obscurely. Um, Before operating this business, I was working in the inner city for a high school in South Dallas. Uh, Prior to that, I did pretty much the same thing at a school in Chicago. My whole background is uh, gang intervention, working with inner city kids, specifically in academics and athletics, and being the mentor that a lot of those demographics are missing. So went straight into that after school. It was around 2015, that I'd been working in South Dallas at a school, Cornerstone Crossroads Academy for about a year and a half. Meantime, my dad, he's been working at Apple for, Apple Computer for about 22 years. But really my whole life, I've known him as working his way up, working the corporate ladder at Apple Computer. Well, he, I, I like to describe it like this. If you, you or your audience has read the e There's the the character, the avatar that the author talks about as the person who has the entrepreneurial seizure and has to go out and do the thing on his own and be his own boss. Well, that that was my dad. Working at Apple for 22 years, uh, loved the first 19, and then the last three was really a struggle. Started looking at different franchise opportunities and came across Mosquito Joe. Um, Mosquito Control, a very niche service. In the DFW, you know, Dallas, Texas area, he figured there's gonna be a market for it. It's hot. Mosquito, I hate mosquitoes. Sure. Let's let's knock this thing out of the park. At the time, he still lived in Austin, Texas, a town called Pflugerville, where I was born and raised. My wife and I had just moved to the Dallas area. We had been up here for a few years. Mosquito Joe only had territory available sporadically through Dallas. And so we were able to work together and piece together a nice, uh, a nice pocket of territory. I think we acquired, uh, we started with four back in 2016. So I left my job at the school, came on full time. My dad essentially retired from Apple Computer, but didn't really get involved in the day to day of our business until 2018, when we acquired two additional Mosquito Joe territories that were exponentially bigger than the four that we had we went from servicing about 200 customers on a recurring basis to about 650 700 overnight and so when that happened in 2018 called pops up had him started helping out in the day-to-day and um yeah we've been rocking it ever since you know that, that's kind of the story of how we got in our business has adjusted and shifted quite a bit since then, but uh man, it's been a journey. So I'm excited to go dive into it.
1: That's an awesome story. Um, and I appreciate you sharing. So you really you started out the, the business and then you grew through through buying through buying revenue. So that's saying don't build, uh, buy revenue. And so you were able to start off by building and then acquire these other entities to to add to your overall how does that work? Like is each location um, do you have a management company that oversees each like location? Or are you running separate P&Ls on each? Or is it all one QuickBooks Online subcategories? I've actually never asked a, a franchisee that question of multiple units. And it's kind of crazy that I don't know the answer to that. But today I'm going to learn.
0: Sure. So yeah, we have our full business under one QuickBooks account. Ideally, you would have every territory broken up. Because with each territory, especially in Mosquito Joe, it's a very different demographic, psychographic, geographic, the way that the expenses are broken up. When I send a, a truck out to Rockwall territory or Garland, it is the, demogra- the, the setup of my route is extremely different. So it's much more expensive from just an economic standpoint of uh, thinking about the windshield time for the technician to get from one house to the other, where when I send a technician to Plano, Each house is about two minutes apart. I could send a technician a full route. For me, is about fifteen houses a day. That's seventy-five houses a week for a technician. That technician can do those houses much quicker when the lot size is a standard quarter to a third of an acre, and each house is two minutes apart. Versus, you know, I might have a couple houses that are, you know, it might be an acre, two acres, which is going to get more per treatment. But if I've got to drive 15 minutes to the next house, that really jacks up my, my, my margins when I'm looking at the bottom line. So as we added territories and sold off territories, we had to actually work backwards to, okay, what are the... And we had to do a lot of guesstimation when we we're putting the books together. And the individual who purchased our Garland and Rockwall territories just this last October in 2022, We had to do a lot of guesstimating and and really working together. Uh, I know of franchisees who have those systems in place, but they've had to really do the grunt work in creating those spreadsheets separately. I know people who have bigger territories sometimes split it up between a north and a south or an east and a west. But going back, I think it would have been a better play to break everything up individually. Mosquito Joe of. Plano, Mosquito Joe of Frisco, we just didn't have the, um, we didn't understand back then because we weren't thinking about the acquisition process and we might be purchasing or selling down the line. That wasn't even on our radar back then.
1: It's a good topic. I really like, when I think about mostly because you had the acquisition, that's where I was curious of, you know, how you would do the, the, the books and records of that. I mean, I imagine, I mean, this is something that I currently am going through, which is, you know, we've, we've launched a platform or hold co with, mul- you know, with an entity under it and multiple entities in the future. And there's a lot of uh, finance that I had to learn to do that properly. For example, switching from QuickBooks Online, which had always been my um, uh, preference to QuickBooks Desktop, because QuickBooks Desktop, for whatever reason, is much more robust and allows you to do better. Uh, it's funny, every accountant loves QuickBooks Desktop more than... Uh, online believe it or not and the reason why is that on the desktop again it's more robust all it means is you have to have a license for every computer that you know utilizes it you can't do it as mobile but we may you know um, quickbooks desktop gives you a little bit more ability to deal with like what's called classes within a PL and so you can break out revenue and profitability and more more extensively. I honestly like I still can't believe that that's so hard to do. I never understood that why it's so challenging with with QuickBooks. Um, Well, let me ask another question. And and by the way, Matthew, what we like to do on these is, I like to get super granular. So people that listen get something like, wow, I could take that. I just did an IFA round table. And I was like, I was like, make sure you guys all have a pen because I'm actually going to give you things to actually do, not like some broad, you know, thing. And so my first question or second question, back to what you're saying, is now that you're doing that, who's doing that? Is that, you, is your, your dad, is it someone on your team? Do you have an outsource controller? Like, What are you guys doing?
0: Yeah, having the outsource controller is a goal of mine that hopefully we will have by the end of this year. Currently, my dad is doing all, he's got the accounting background. That's what he did for Apple. So for him, it's one of those things that he's able to fill that seat uh, very That's easily. Crazy. And so he's able to go back in and, and really crunch those numbers and, and break it up. But definitely not me.
1: That's fantastic. So your partnership. So let's touch on this for a moment. It sounds like it works really well. It, you have the your your roles and responsibilities drawn out on a line in the sand. So you're handling the operations of the business, the sales, the team building, and your dad is operating doing the back end or, or just the accounting? Or what, what else falls into his bucket of of roles and responsibilities?
0: No, that's great. You know, that's something that we've really had to work on in these last these last few months, and we're still working to perfect it. You're absolutely right. I definitely am more of the visionary of the organization. um, And I do handle a lot of the operations from a day-to-day perspective, the hiring, the exiting, the culture building, the development of the people. Um, But when it comes to my dad, for the Mosquito Joe side, he is definitely the finance admin seat, um, working over... Our office managers and our CSRs, kind of making sure they have the right uh, the right tools that they need to be to do their day. They'll also do a lot of the, um, you know, we just started with how should I put this, Um, something that we should have done much longer ago, but tracking the productivity of our technicians in not just revenue, but understanding okay, how many treatments are they getting. An hour. What is the specific Net Promoter Score for their route? Um, what are they doing? What is their respray rate? Those are types of things that he does and is able to bring back to us because we've been doing a lot of uh, EOS self implementing lately. And uh, so our level ten meetings that we have every week, will bring he'll bring those that, those documents to the table, and we'll be able to discuss and really assess each technician and and how well they're doing. And if I need to come in and provide additional you know, training tools and we need to bring up, talk about, okay, you guys, you're doing great in this area, but you need to work on this. That That is a way that we're able to play off of each of our strengths because I'm much more of a interpersonal um, individual and he is definitely a numbers, a spreadsheet. He can look at that chart and put things together and create the graphs and, and uh, then I can just talk about it.
1: That's great that you have that because it's not an easy role to fill if you don't have someone in like the trust circle, right? Like, you know, like us, we're, we're, we're currently evaluating uh, what we call a finance director who would grow into a controller. But like, you know, the complexity of, of our business and, and really understanding the numbers is is something that, you know, we could do, but it's not the right use of time. And so delegating that, which has a cost because it's a pretty intelligent person. So having that in your team, is, is in, in your partnership, is great. Um, I guess my next question, and I'm getting right into the, the granular, what do you guys use for some of that reporting? Are you, is, your, is your dad doing, um, is it all Excel? Do you have some type of tools? Is it, is it provided through the CRM? Is it through 것처럼? Like Like how, how do you guys do that? So the data itself comes from
0: multiple sources. It's really him looking into our CRM, tracking the individual route, but then we have a separate platform yeah. that tracks the net promoter score for each route. And then we're able to look at our, our, our paychecks and, okay, when did they clock in? Did they clock in late? Did they clock in five miles down the road? Were there any disciplinary stuff? So he's really pulling from different sources. That's actually a great Um, Having that in one house, if there's not somebody out there doing it, that's a great model or great business. But he's, he's very savvy with the Excel. The trick with the partnership and how it's set up now is to really define those seats and allow him to excel in that space because we do get or in the past have gotten caught up with him also getting holding down wanting to interact with customers too. He likes doing the sales and doing the quotes and so making sure that we delegate the time. And okay, if you're going to rock this seat, then we need to make sure that you are 100% accountable and we have to get this done. Maybe we need to fill this sales role or this other, you know, these other roles with somebody else. And we actually fell backwards into that because last summer, I tried to hire a bookkeeper because I'm looking at the numbers and I don't know this stuff. And you know, he's out there doing quotes and doing installs and it just wasn't happening. And which it made sense because you know he's doing it, but we got busy putting out fires, and so I'm going to bring in a bookkeeper. And it was him sitting down and deciding, well, no, I I, want, I still want to do this. I'm not willing to let this let this seat go yet. And so we had to have that that discussion, and it was me being um, willing and able to confront my business partner, but also my dad, and say, well, okay, if If you're going to do it, then you got to do it because this is super important for how we track everything moving forward.
1: Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's either we're going to do it or we're not going to do it. Someone's got to do it in in the organization. I remember, like, I learned that lesson where we were running a pretty decent sized business without, uh, in my previous business, you know. you know, without that, because I was super on top of the numbers, or our accountant was, and, but never to the level that it could have been. Mm. And over the, I remember, like for me as a manager or leader, uh, it got harder and harder. And I, it's like you would cling on to it, and then and then one day it's like, I know for me, like bringing in an outsourced controller, which by the way does not have to be super expensive. I mean, you're talking about, I mean, you can have a bookkeeper for a few hundred dollars. You can have um, I mean, I had a controller type. Uh, it, I, in, the, in my experience in business, I've had a controller type person for 1500 Not controller, but like a, just helping with, with the mouse.
0: Like a fractional CFO type of thing? I'm still learning the the
1: different ranges. Oh, man, this is a conversation because I haven't figured this out yet either. Okay. Um, <laughs> All right. We had a fractional CFO. When I started the, the business, uh, Franchise Playbook, um, I'm moving at a at a at a pretty expedited time frame. Um, you know, we we've we've done a lot in in the time frame, and not really for any other reason than there's a team of people behind it, and um, I'm just overseeing that. But I made a decision. Like I remember, like people saying, "Like well, I don't understand. Like you don't need this, and you don't need that, and you don't need that, and you don't need this." My decision was no. I've I've seen that the how it gets when things are busy. I know what it's like. And so before launching the business, while it's not busy, I want to do everything I possibly can because I have the time to do it. And yes, we're going to make an investment up front um, and it's going to be substantial, but these investments will be made either way. They'll just be done later or now. And I'm going to do it now. And it's actually going to build the business faster. And every time I've ever done that, it's worked out that way. You lay the foundation a little bit early. And I, I, candidly, I think I have a good ability to kind of see like, right before we need something, putting it in place. Just because in my past I've been buried before. I hate being in that position of shoot, like we got to fix this. And now I got to do it while I'm juggling all these these yeah. things. Just, just now I was on the phone with the bank setting up a bank account. And there was something that like alarmed me because I'm like, whoa, wait, wait, when we get to this revenue, is this going to become some issue where I have to sign off on and all of a sudden it's a week of banking nonsense. I don't like, let's fix that now then. And I tell the bank that with a business that hasn't even really started, and they're like they can't grasp. And in my mind, I, it's funny. I just said this to someone right now at the time of this recording. We have one, you know, we have one unit in our in our first franchise, you know, s- system that we're building that we're going to launch in April. And I have so I joke. I say I have zero. I have zero franchisees, but I identify as two hundred. <laughs> nice. So when yeah. you, if you're the IFA, when you're a franchisor. Um, the number one question people ask is like, what kind of franchise, and then how many units? It's always how many units, how many units, how many units. So I joke around. I was like, well, we have, you know, no, no units, but I identify as as two hundred. <laughs> That's <laughs> and, awesome. But what I mean by that is, from day one, we built this business as if it had two hundred units. Like our reporting software, our, you know, our our. Overall KPI tracking all our CRM system our health benefits for our own team like um, our LMS system is all built as if we have or it's being built as if we have 200 franchisees but I'm on this tangent what I'm saying is like for you know fifteen hundred dollars a month you can get like an outsourced controller here in New Jersey New York five thousand dollars a month was getting us like a really hands-on. It was actually too much. We didn't need that. Right. So I'm looking for that sweet spot between like, not a bookkeeper, or excuse me, I was looking for that sweet spot between not a bookkeeper to like an outsource controller. For us at the business we're doing, we decided we're going to take that in-house and actually hire someone into the team. Okay. Um, because of just with what we're doing, when we add franchisees, I had to make the way to make this decision. It was like, we can outsource this, but then all you're going to get is that. Or we could pay just a little bit more, bring it into the house, but build a teammate, which is another teammate, which is another culture fit, which is another driver of culture. And then later, when we have franchisees, what we call this, this finance director, they could, if you were a franchisee, they could sit with you once a month, let's say like a success coach, and their job is just drilling into your profitability. And we set up. Our our structure, and this is what's different than outsourcing it, we set up our structure in that comp hall for whoever ends up getting this job that we're currently looking for, um, that their bonus structure is tied to the profitability of the franchisees. Got it. Yeah, that's
0: awesome.
1: Because what happens is like nothing wrong with being revenue focused as a franchise or you want every one of your franchisees to have strong AUV. AUV is great. We want AUV as a or It leads up to the top of us as a business of supporting franchisees. <clears throat> but AV doesn't really matter, right? Like what you bring home. But Tommy Mello says it best: uh, uh, "Top line. Hang on, let me remember it. Uh, I'm going to forget the quote. He's a great quote. It's like top line is uh, vanity. Profit is sanity.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a-
1: absolutely. And so." When we developed our compensation models on the franchise playbook level, the hold call level, it was important that we found ways that our team was not just motivated to award franchises and get them open and get the most a possible. We need to obsess over the profitability of our franchises, obsess over it. That's more important than top line. And yes, as an organization on the franchise side, of course, we want more royalty revenue off, off top line. But for... The way to do that is actually counterintuitive of what people think. Focus on the profitability. When they're more profitable, they'll grow in revenue. And so this whole tangent, I think, is just around a lesson of if you can get someone on your team obsessed with your unit's profitability, for example, like you're probably like a growth-oriented guy. And just getting to know you're bringing in sales, you're bringing in revenue, you're growing your team, you want to grow, 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 grow. That also comes with our age too. It's like typically... We're going to be growth-oriented. So then if you could find someone on your team, and maybe it's your dad, maybe it's someone else that's obsessed over the profitability, um, it always leads to a a good counter. And, and of course, there's arguments, right? There's debate. <laughs> you know, your, your profit guy is always going to be kind of put, and that's what you want. You want to check and balance between profit and revenue growth. If you're enjoying this episode, please click the subscribe button. And make sure to connect with the Franchise Founders Podcast on LinkedIn.
0: No, it's good, man. I I see so many, uh, gosh, entry points to where I can come back. I mean, just from the the franchisor perspective, I think that's great that you're starting with that in mind because, yes, you're going to get paid off the revenue of your franchisees. But at the end of the day, more franchisees and your unit count is going to go up when prospective clients or candidates do the validation process and they're actually talking to the franchisees that are currently with you and you actually have happy people because they're profitable, that's just going to help you in the long run. I mean, I, I can only imagine being a part of a system that the franchisees are not happy. Uh, you can create a, a, a brand that has a thousand Zs but there's going to come a point when the system is going to break because you either have a mass exodus or you have a lot of people shutting down and going out of business. And what comes up will come down very quickly and aggressively. So I can totally see that. Back to us on a on a personal level, um, yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think for me as a as an owner, I need to be able to put myself in a situation where the roles in my team are delegated out and handled by people who can do them super successfully and way better than I could. And it's not that I have to find... It's great if you can find people that are smarter than you in the tasks that you're hiring them for or that role. But even if you feel like you're an A-plus player in a bunch of different things individually, you as an owner trying to do everything you're eventually going to find yourself as a C plus in all those different things. So even a beat individual who can come in and do that one thing better than you can when you're trying to spread yourself out. So thin is only going to help your business grow. In my uh, team meeting yesterday morning with my technicians, we had, there was a moment where my lead tech and I was, I was coming in and out because I was setting up a TV for these guys to, uh, cause we had some videos that I was, so I was facilitating. I had turned it over. And the lead tech, um, not seeing me come back in, says, and by all means, if you have an issue in the field, please do not call Matthew. Call me, call our office manager, call. He listed off three other ways that they can get their problem solved before they should even think about calling me. And it was one of those moments that I, I just stood there and I mean, I could have cried because that has not been the case. I mean, there are so many times in my journey, and I network and I listen to other owners now in the franchise space, but also doing their own organic bootstrap business, and they're so afraid of delegating and elevating and getting themselves up out of their business. So for me to be able to hear one of my leaders, a young leader, who is this is his first year officially in a leadership role training and learning putting it out there from the beginning i mean that was that was a testament to him and it's a testament to kind of what we've grown that we do have the people and the systems in place and i don't have to micromanage these guys and if they have a blower that runs out of gas or if a if a tube falls out of the of the back and they leak product everywhere in the past I could be having a meeting with, you know, this could be a 10,000, 15,000, you know, name the price tag of, you know, some of these networking, you know, you know, better than I could even say. But any connection and, and, and person that you meet and put into your network can drastically increase or change the course of your entire life and the entire life of your business. I can't be out there doing those, connect, making those connections if, anytime someone has a flat tire, I've got to turn around and go save the day. And so I want to curate that in every aspect of my business. So there will come a day where, I mean, my dad will either have to, um, you know, if he wants to continue to work in the business, that will be, he'll have that specialized role there. If I want to work and have a job in the business, I can have a specialized role. But All that other stuff will be worked out, and if we don't do that successfully, there's no way to possibly scale or to grow. And we've really had to learn that the hard way. But I'm excited that our team is catching that vision, and that's really the culture. And it feeds into the culture of developing our people, and they feel it, and they like it, and they they um, they stick around longer than a they have in the past, but b where i see them in other you know them being the demographic the people that are coming in to do these these labor jobs you know they stick when part of a team that values their development and values their um existence really and so i think that's super important on a lot of levels so i i match your tangent with another tangent sir
1: (laughs) no it's good i think these tangents are good but i i would i would say like you know just hearing in your business like i think what you said is so spot on and i think it comes down to like if you really want to take that to the next level maybe you've already done this but what i found is so usually the things that like are literally the most boring uneventful things are the things that really separate your business so for example going and writing on a google doc your roles and responsibilities
0: wow yeah
1: you know so you go and you write down like like literally Matthew McGregor's roles and responsibilities. And it's like this, 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 this. Defined, clear, sign off. Here's the other, here's their roles. Here's the other person's roles. And everyone signs off on that. You commit to it. Literally like sign something. Like these are the roles and responsibilities. Um, Another thing I I like to do is I I give people, anyone we we hire, potentially hire, I ask people for a list. I say, write down everything you're great at Hmm. and that you love doing. And then write everything that you're not great at And that you hate doing And by the way, they usually correlate. I don't want you doing anything that you hate doing. Or maybe if it's for a little bit of time, that's fine. If you're great at it. If you're great at and you hate doing it, you got to do it for a bit, but we'll get you out of it as soon as we can. I don't want you doing anything that you're bad at. That's ridiculous. And I don't want you doing, I want you to really do what you love and what you're great at, like that sweet spot in the top quadrant. And so we write those down and like you start to be able to figure out. And I'll give people like their roles and responsibilities, and they'll write me back like in red the areas that they think they may not be great at. And then we make a decision: one, if they're the right fit, right, for that seat. And then if 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 not, you know, are they the right fit for our company, just not that seat, or just maybe not right now? So that you know, all kinds of decisions. But anyway, you get people doing what they're great at and that they love doing. They sign off on it. And then the other thing I would suggest that I I think is super helpful, and I learned this from a large franchisor. You know, when there's like a crazy thing, like a the truck runs out of gas, right? I don't know. Something like that happens. That's pretty out of the ordinary. It should be like, if this happens, you call this person. If it ha- that they don't answer, then you go here. Then you go, and like, you're like way down the list. And they should see it as a sign of ultimate respect is that following that process. And if you have it defined, like if I was in your business I, and then someone called me, like, hey, I'm always happy to chat, especially if it's about like culture, vision, leadership. If you need to talk, like that's my role. But if it's related to the day to day, um, it's not that I don't know the answer, but for us to run the business the most effective and be able to help you the most, we have kind of this process. Did you look at the process before giving me a call? And the answer is no. Then it's like, all right, like, why don't you go back to the the document, right? And like, look at that. And I'm granted, I'll probably give them the answer on the phone. But sometimes actually your ownership and, and willingness to jump to doing that is actually just creating a cancer in your culture. It sets the expectation
0: of what of what they're allowed to do and what they're not allowed to do. Absolutely,
1: I know the boss. I know the owner. I'll just go around. Which, by the way, pisses off. Excuse my language, pisses off whoever's managing. Like, if I was working for a company and I was led, uh, I was you know positioned to lead a team, and that teammate was going up to my superior around me, unless I was doing like something egregious. It's like the it's the ultimate disrespect to, to me from that teammate. But by the way. I'm annoyed at the leader who's managing me because it's like my trust in you is going away because you're not empowering me to do my job.
0: 100%.
1: And so you're actually answering them is potentially actually causing cancer on two different levels, even though you're trying to just do the right thing and help.
0: Yeah, no, I learned this. uh, I learned that concept and try to implement it. Well, try. We do implement it in our business because it's super important. But when I was at Wheaton College playing football, our head coach would talk about that exact thing. And if you got an issue with somebody and it was more of an interpersonal, if you have a conflict, you need to talk to that individual person. If you do that and the issue is not solved, you need to go next step up. You need to talk to a team captain. If the team captain is not it, and then the team captain comes in and talks with both of you. If it's not resolved, then you need to go to the position coach. Next, your coordinator. By the time it gets to the head coach, This is going to be an extremely, extremely serious situation where somebody might not even be on the team anymore if it needs to get this, it needs to get this far. So it gives you multiple opportunities to address it and follow that chain of command to create the respect and to create the accountability that we're talking about. So, man, I love that.
1: Yeah yeah it's uh that's awesome. so you played football in in high school and college
0: yeah so I, in Chicago, uh Wheaton college played football, ran track that, that kind of led me into uh, the whole coaching thing as soon as I got out coaching personal training uh that whole athletic yeah I, I still do uh races and competitions, uh you know Spartan races and high rocks, and uh, I'll do a five nice. k and a half marathon here and there uh, to stay competitive but you know, I, I I love fitness, I love pushing myself physically just as much as I do, you know, mentally. And just it's all about development and it adds to the culture that, that we're building because the team gets a there's nothing that they are asked to do that I'm not that I've not done and shown extreme competency in. So even if I'm not doing it now. I better not come out there and be better than you at the job that I'm hiring you to do. Cause if I can go out there or if I have to go out there and do it, oh, that's going to be a bad look for you. Uh, so I like to incorporate that
1: as well. Man, that's, that's an, it's interesting. I, I think the team sport background probably really does contribute to your, your, your ability to be coachable. And like I was just having this conversation as we hire in our company around core values and like, who's a fit. And uh, you know, for me, like I, I, I played team sports as a kid, but then I was my serious sport was wrestling. I wrestled in middle school okay. and then uh, in yeah. high school, and I would probably contribute eighty um, percent of anything I have mentally is from wrestling. Like just mental toughness and resiliency, and working in a team with a team, even though it's an individual sport, you're wrestling as a team, and like that camaraderie that you have. And then that got even, even further. I um people don't actually know but I've been a rock band nice. in high yeah. school like pretty serious like we would pack out some pretty big shows and like we were four guys all friends okay. and so um what I realized was I've I've been trying to recreate that team since I was 18 years wow. old like I did that in high school and the the I mean these guys are still my best friends like the, the the you know the guitarist that was in that band he's now Kind of funny because we play in a rock band. It's like a whole different version of of him, like you know, rock guitar with you know, different look. He's like a big time private equity guy now. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, like I, I like to show him the photos. I'm like, this was you, not even that long ago, man, 12 years ago. Like that year. Wow. Um, and then like, you know, look how far you've come. And I'm I'm excited to see where he's at. In 10 years more. But um, what was what was interesting is like we these guys like all really cared about each other. And that led us to being such like a uniform team. And so I realized that over the past 12 years, I'm 30. So the past 12 years, I've wanted to recreate that, which I finally have in Franchise Playbook because our team, they are so freaking solid. Um, and it was interesting because at the IFA, the greatest quote, you'll probably see it all over LinkedIn because when Drew Brees said, this, Drew Brees was the uh, the keynote. That's all right Man, Awesome. I, I'm not going to quote it perfectly, but basically the best teams he ever played for were the ones that loved each other the most or that cared about each other the most. Wow. And, and I left with that. When I say care, I mean caring about you as a human being far beyond the functionality of the business. And if you leave the business, they still care about you. like That kind of bond where if you can find people that you can work with that you care about like that, man, and you build a team like that, sky's the limit. There's something about... Not just the
0: struggling with another person or with another group of people, but the struggle and then coming out on the backside and, and appreciating. That's why I love doing a lot of the fitness stuff that I still do now as a 30 plus individual with a wife and kids and, and multiple businesses. It's, there's something to putting yourself through pain and agony and hardship Surrounded by other people that are doing the exact same thing and then coming out on the other side. I mean, there's people that you you do one of these races, and there's somebody that you've never met before, but you started next to them, you finished right behind them or right in front of them because y'all are competing all day. You're giving each other hugs, you're patting you got the person's contact information, and that's so applicable to business. I mean, we've i've I've had people on my team for as long as as five years. actually, my longest tenured, employee and team member actually just left us when he started he looked up for five years when he started he was 10 bucks an hour didn't have uh, didn't have the the full college degree but he had a really good attitude I've seen this guy grow up I have witnessed him have multiple kids and now he's in another organization making significant a significant increase you know 50-60K plus benefits plus you know, all these things that um, somebody wants to be able to have that, that starter pack when you're building out your family and to see that growth. And knowing that when, keyword when, an individual leaves my team, because it's going to happen one way or the other. It's a matter of when it happens. I want them to be in a better position than when they were, when they entered. Our organization. Right. And I also want to make sure that we have a continued relationship where they know that I'm a resource to help them be better. So, even, and that's a challenge because even if somebody you have to exit somebody, you still have that same strategy of like, hey, man, every relationship is about timing. The timing is not right. Here's why. Here's yeah. these documented things. I want to be a resource for you. You need to work on this come back and talk to me, come back and talk to me later. Now there's a lot of people that I wouldn't bring on the back on the team right now, but we would be able to have a conversation of this is why we still need to have a proof of concept here. And, um, oh, it's huge, man. It's just, it's, it's how you get the stick because you have that culture of development and people that, um, your people will see it. They can smell it and they can smell and it's not there too.
1: You know, it, it's crazy, man. I'm, uh, I'm not. I don't normally like talk this much. I'm, I usually uh, it's more of an interview. But I'll, I'll tell you, like we were recording this, literally, like I'm running off the adrenaline of of IFA, which I actually just wrote myself a note though. I'm gonna have to have a podcast that just recaps yeah. IFA because I, 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 some of the things. like, man, I'll tell you, like one of the coolest things, and, and it, it relates to this about uh, about the team. Like I was at the IFA, and one of the coolest things that I, I've really, like I'm gonna do this from now on. We did an Airbnb instead of a hotel. Brought my our whole team to nice. IFA. and like honestly, like the price of those hotel rooms multiplied by four adds up pretty fast. And so the option to do an Airbnb not only saved money, but at first I was like, "What am I doing? Like, I, it's going to be uncomfortable. I like to have my room." Like, but let let's do it. It saves money. What I didn't realize was it was the greatest team bonding. It was my team at the Airbnb. We had Wade from Reichel, who who's a big time uh, insurance. Uh, company and uh and Aaron Harper, who's become a good friend of mine, who's launching a franchise or and I mean, I was there and I was joking around with them that I felt like um, because franchising as a franchise or is very similar to technology. Like you're building a recurring revenue stream. It's super lucrative on a business. There's investors all over the place, PE that's you know, courting these types of businesses, um, lots of investment into it, and really great founders. And I I I feel like Franchising is like Silicon Valley back in its heyday. Like we're in this space where there's just so much one hundred percent franchise. One hundred percent is it's going to be bigger than ever, and it's like I'm like, man, how the heck did I get in? lucky enough to be in this position? But it's I'm here. I'm going to run with it. So we're in this Airbnb, and I'm joking around I'm like, guys, like, what's the difference? Like, you know, that Aaron, you're uh, Zuckerberg, and <laughs> someone else is, you know, I'm obviously being you know facetious, but like here in this Airbnb, I felt like I was in like Palo Alto. You know as a startup and and i i, I remind myself uh, there's this scene in uh, super pumped if you've ever seen it, it's about uber okay um the story of the founding of uber and you it, it it goes about uh, it's on apple t v it's about uh, uber's journey, and that founder did a lot of bad things very thing a lot of things about him that were not good, but his his drive and his desire and the team that he built and the culture it wasn't that great actually, <laughs> but the uh, they were very, uh, there were some, but yeah. their, their bond yeah. was strong, right? And so this, like, this, this guy in the, in the movie uh, or in the show, he's, like, the head of um, Benchmark Capital, which was a major investor in, in Uber. And he's, like, his guide, right? He's his guide throughout the story. And so there's this scene where they're all in, a, like, a log cabin, and it's where they have their leadership team meetings, and they, they strategize. And he's like, "Hey, before you go there, um, take take this in while you're here. You'll never have this again. Huh. You'll never be a startup like this. You're gonna have a board. You're gonna have people. Wow. It's not gonna be the same. Drink this in. You'll never be 30 years old with not a lot of money. Like all the things that like seem like struggle. And so when I was at IFA, that's how wow. it felt. And so and then we threw like an event. We threw like a house party. So it was like back being in college, like a pre-event." <laughs> And we had like, man, some of the people there, like I walk in my house and like, I've always looked up to Scott Abbott. I think he's an incredible leader. Um, he's the founder of Five Star, a bunch of businesses. And uh, I'm like, holy shit, like Scott Abbott's in like the Airbnb. Like, this is amazing. You know, said hi to him. And then today he had a home services summit and I was listening and he said something like, oh, your business is not a family. Mm. A better way to look at his is, Well, for one, you can never leave your family, right? So family is really like people do leave businesses, and unfortunately, sometimes have to be ejected from businesses when they're not a fit. Doesn't mean they're not a good person; they're just not a fit for the team, right? So he compared his team to a high uh, high end sports team because on a sports team, you're not a family; you're working together like a family in the sense that you're connected, to care about each other. But sometimes, like when the guy's not the right quarterback, you have got to pull him out. You got to put someone else in, right? So. I really liked his analogy of your high-end sports team versus the family. Also, because he said, uh, you know, families have dysfunction. Yeah, <laughs> Everyone has a little no, bit. No, that's so. 100%.
0: Uh, I that's think it's that's sports 100% team. accurate. So back in 2019, I had the opportunity to um, actually try it out. Not very many people remember the AAF, the Alliance of American Football. But it was a spring football league. You have the XFL now, the USFL. In 2019, there was about four months of the AAF. And uh, my father-in-law was a head coach for the Memphis team. So I initially tried out for the team, thinking I would uh, dust everything off and get out there again. And I didn't make it. You know, hamstrings didn't, didn't quite have the juice anymore. But I was able to come on as I, I wanted to be with, with, with the guys. I, I craved that environment. And at the time, the business, it was doing its thing. So I'm going to take my shot. And so I get on this team. I start out as unpaid equipment guy. And um, here I am thinking that I have a chance to be on the team. Now I'm washing the, the jocks, the practice jerseys, mudding the footballs at 1130 at night. And I'm, you know, I've got, I'm married with kid. What am I doing out here? I'm not getting paid. I'm out of state. And we grew. I should say I grew in my role because I'm the type, man, I'll I'll snipe your job if I'm on the team, not because I am too hungry to bulldoze everybody, but I'm just a Swiss Army knife by nature. And because I didn't have any serious responsibility, I was able to navigate through the organization and eventually work under the GM for the team and assistant GM and assistant operations guy for the squad. The league shut down, and here I am. This great experience coming back to. Uh, to DFW to run my Mosquito Joe operation tail between my legs. But coming back, I now had that experience of working under a general manager for a professional football team. The way that I managed my technicians and the squad in general, the way that I saw the business completely changed because you do have to recruit good talent. You do have to find your A players. And if you have anybody that is not up to par they can get cut and you have to have the processes and procedures to do that obviously but 100 percent like a high performance athletic team that's a great analogy
1: yeah i can talk to you for a lot longer this is a lot of fun but uh i really enjoyed this conversation and thank you for for joining today on on this episode um if someone really resonated with you know, with what you said, they want to get in touch with with you. How how could they do that?
0: Oh, I appreciate it, man. It's been a great opportunity to talk to you too. Um, I am doing my best to be very active on LinkedIn and other social media platforms too. But here, we're trying. We have a multi-unit uh, franchise business now, looking to expand. We have our in-house brand that is our thing that we're bootstrapping, and we also have. We're also looking into. Additional franchise brands in the home services space for now, but to stack together and really utilize having the management and holding companies and, and going that route. So anybody that's in the, the franchising space, the leadership and, and coaching, um, like I said earlier in the episode, I'm big in EOS. I, I just want to be a resource to folks, and that's how I plan on growing my, my personal brand. Um, so LinkedIn social media, Facebook, Instagram. Would love to chat with anybody that is uh, in that space or looking to get into that space. If I can provide any value, uh, I would love to have a conversation.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Franchise Founders Podcast. If you want our help with anything from buying a franchise to franchising your business to anything in between, shoot us an email at franchisefounders at gmail.com.